Venezuela continues to grapple with the humanitarian crisis caused by the corruption of Nicolas Maduro. But despite the danger to themselves and their families, everyday people continue to mobilize and demand respect for human rights and a return to democracy. Over the last three years of this podcast, we've discussed the political situation in Venezuela a number of times, often focusing on the crisis at the national level. Today, we wanted to bring things down to the personal level. My fellow producer Sam Johannes and I spoke with two activists on how their journey led them to be involved in politics and what keeps them motivated through such trying times. Rafaela Requesens is a Venezuelan student activist who gained recognition as the student council president of the Central University of Venezuela in 2017 and 2018. She's been instrumental in raising awareness on the current state of education in Venezuela and has led the student movement in several peaceful protests. Rafaela has also been a public advocate for political prisoners, given that her brother, National Assembly Deputy Juan Requesens, was arbitrarily imprisoned by the Maduro regime in 2018. To date, he remains imprisoned with no trial date set. Armando Armas is a member of the political party Voluntad Popular. He was elected to the National Assembly in 2015. He was one of the deputies injured in July 2017 when the National Assembly was attacked by pro-Maduro supporters. First, we heard from Rafaela. Rafaela Regesens, thank you so much for being here with us. Uh, you are the former president of the Student Federation at the Central University of Venezuela, yes. correct? And you are also the sister of the National Assembly Deputy Juan Requesens, who has been incarcerated for over a year now, and you've done a lot of work elevating his cause and the cause of political prisoners around Venezuela. So thank you very much for taking the time to speak with us today. We're excited to, to chat about Venezuela with you. No, thank you for this opportunity to talk about Venezuela and to let know a lot of people what's happening, what's really happening in, in my country. So thank you again. I think maybe we'd like to start just by hearing a little bit about your journey and how you went from being involved with the student groups and how that translated into activism on a larger scale around much of the political issues that were going on in Venezuela over the last few years. Well, I start like the political activist and mm -hmm. when I became the university, uh, my brother was the president of my, my school like in the political science career. So when I begin the university, he just told me like, hey, you, you should be in my team, uh, doing politics, fighting for the rights of the students of the faculty. So I begin in 2010 mm -hmm. uh, with the university politics or university activists. So a year uh, after year, after year uh -huh. I continued the, this fight for mm -hmm. the students and I understand the necessity to do the things differently, not only in the university, uh, do the things differently in the country, like in a political way. So in 2017, I won the federation. I am the second woman uh, in that space, like being president of the Central University of Venezuela. The Central University of Venezuela is the most important university of the country. So it was really hard because uh, the last year I had another role mm -hmm. 
like behind the scene like organizing and and that stuff so in this in this space i'm i'm the face you know uh, so it was more hard because like i think one month or two months later uh, we we won the elections on the university uh, start the protest on on the on venezuela so we have to assume uh, another role that is going to the street against uh, Maduro's regime, uh, and and we knew it that uh, was really was really hard and was really dangerous going to the street fighting for democracy, justice, and and freedom. Mm-hmm. But I I had the support mm-hmm. for a lot of people, and for my brother too. Mm-hmm. So well, like now um, I'm not anymore in the movement, student movement. So now I'm the voice of my brother. Mm-hmm. I, I am the voice of a lot of political prisoners, and I'm, I think I, I have the voice of a lot of people who can't raise their voice because maybe they are in jail, maybe, mm-hmm. uh, well, they get killed by the Nicolas Maduro's regime, or because a lot of that Venezuelans are out of the country. Going back to the transition that you mentioned from being sort of behind the scenes organizer to becoming the face. You, you are well aware of the risks of doing that, and yet you decided to do it anyway. What, what motivated that transition? Well, in protest, maybe it's because uh, not only me, I think a lot of uh, all my generation, my friends, uh, understood that we need to fight for the next generations because they can't live what we are living now. So it's unfair that we just sit and see how Venezuela is, is crashing down and do nothing. So we understood that we need to fight for them, for the little, uh, for the kids, for the next generations. Uh, and we need to do our best to change the country or unless to, to feel mm-hmm. com- that we do all uh, we have in our hands to, to make a change in, change in Venezuela. But uh, what makes me understood that the next generation need to live uh, another thing is because I have my brother has two two kids. When when I say I, I see them, I see a lot of kids of Venezuelans, and I say you know they don't deserve what I'm living right now. Like I need to go to the street, uh, fighting for rights, for human rights, for basic uh, service. So that that's that's I think that's my that that's my first reason to to mm-hmm. fight and and why I I'm, I'm like in the front line you know. Mm-hmm. What do you tell your your peers, the people that you know were were students with you or, or other people who wanted to become involved politically, okay. and how did you motivate them how to motivate them? to move out onto the streets and to make those protests over the last few years? Okay, it's hard because it's, it's not easy to tell people like we need to go to the street and fight for our rights i mean the, the, the it's it's our it's our our job like as citizens mm-hmm. but like we know we uh, we are against a regime who kill people who are against them uh, it's not easy but i have to say that just like talking clearly to them mm-hmm. that you know, if, if we don't fight for this, we're gonna lose mm-hmm. our country, and uh, we're gonna lose the moment to make a chance 
for the next generations. Mm -hmm. And I have something that I always say to, to motivate the people is that we can't forget who died in, in for, for this cause. And in the majority of the people who died was the youngest people, you know? Mm -hmm. A lot of what was from the universities. I think that's, that's the first reason I mentioned to that people to get motivated that we can't uh, stop this fighting because uh, we, we estaríamos fallándole a ellos. We'd be failing them. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and, and also, we can't forget the political prisoners that are behind bars because of their fight. So we need to continue because we need to have justice for our killed brothers and we need to have justice for the political prisoner and make them free. So I, I think it's just talking clearly and from the, from the heart, actually. Mm -hmm. Historically, uh, young people, students have been, have been heavily involved in protests in Venezuela, right? This is something that I think is, is probably foreign, an experience that is foreign to many of our audience members in the United States. Young people in the United States obviously don't have the same experience. Um, if, you want, if you were to explain in sort of one sentence how it feels to be involved in, in a massive uh, civic action like that for somebody in the United States, what would you say? I will say I'm really sentimentalist, um, mm -hmm. and uh, I will say that's sad, maybe. Mm -hmm. But actually, I'm gonna say it's strong. Because you know, a lot of people that are out on the street losing a lot of things, you know, and they still believe in in a chance for Venezuela. Hmm. Um, I think it's strong because every people I met on the street, every mother who lost their child, who lost their, their daughter or, or son, they are still motivated and they, are st and, and they always say like, you know, we, we need to, to be strong to continue this fight. So if I will say one word, uh, definitely could uh, should should be strong because that's the word who represent every Venezuelan uh, mm. in and outside the country. I think that's a great summary of it and a great way to encapsulate it. Clearly what has what is happening in Venezuela is there's a lot that is unique about it um, but there's also some things that are similar to many other movements in other places right. Okay. Um, maybe not you know exactly the same but but there are some Can some elements that people can relate to yeah. what what message would you give to either other youth who have not yet become involved in some protests in other countries or to activists who are going through similar struggles like what is what is one thing that you want them to to hold on to and to remember that we need to fight the fight it's our moment and we are not the future we are the present the youth in every country is the present of every um, of every country so if we don't fight who the, uh, the human rights if we don't fight for democracy if we don't fight for freedom for for justice for for our country nobody gonna do it so in the next years i'm totally sure that we are gonna be arrepentido 
-hmm. repenting. Mm -hmm. We are be repenting because we do nothing in the past. And we're gonna have children, we're gonna have granddaughters, and we have to tell them what we did for them and not and, and when they ask us what what you did for this country what you did for 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 your brothers we need to be comfortable telling them that we give all what we have to to the cause and i think anybody who hears you will understand that so uh Rafaela, thank you so much for taking the time mm, to speak with thank us Thank you for this opportunity to, to speak a little bit of Venezuela. And, well, this fight continues. Nobody surrender. Next, we heard from Armando. So we're joined here today by Armando Ramos, uh, deputy from the National Assembly in Venezuela. Uh, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us today, Armando. It's a really pleasure. Thank you, guys. So, Armando, obviously you're, you're a very active individual uh, in, in the politics of your country, but before that, you are a, a young man living in Venezuela. Uh, paint the picture for me. How did you go from, from just a young man living in Venezuela to doing what you do now? How did, what motivated you to become involved? I um, think I was very uh, fortunate as a kid because I always uh, wanted to know what I wanted to do <laughs> since I was little kid. Um, my parents were public servants, actually. My father was a politician, belonged to the uh, regional assembly, mm -hmm. and my mother was, uh, was a judge. Mm -hmm. uh, so they were very committed to public service. I'm very proud of them. So can you tell me a little bit about, you know, clearly that, that family tradition um, was probably very, very inspiring and, and led a lot to kind of the motivation behind it. But what is it that that for you was the deciding factor to go from kind of just being somebody who's kind of on the periphery to being much more central to to like the protests and to the movements overall. Uh, after all, I said, yeah, I love activism. I love to uh, to be involved in NGOs, and I have been in, involved in, in many NGOs. But uh, for those of us who wants to um, make an impact in the world, we shouldn't view this. Is the political realm as a, something that is dirty and is, is far away from us, is far away from the citizens, mm -hmm. and dis is distance. Rather, we have to be, uh, we have to be uh, protagonists mm -hmm. of of our own fate and our, our own destiny. That's how I got inspired mm -hmm. with a family mm -hmm. tradition, but definitely by a a, a mere conviction that that that's that's your opportunity mm -hmm. to change the to change the things that you don't like mm -hmm. uh, and you're facing every day. Picking up on this on this theme of sort of um, making politics real, making it flesh and blood, um, not not just ideas. Um, you 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 speak about the role uh, that politicians play in the rule of law, and as a member of the National Assembly, you are in some ways the physical embodiment of the system of the rule of law. And in your country, that rule of law has been under attack. Could you, for some of, of our audience members who are not familiar with with uh, some of your experiences? in the National Assembly. Could you, could you talk about that a little bit? We got elected in 2015 uh, against all the odds. We, had, uh, we gained two-thirds of, of the majority of the mm -hmm. National uh, Parliament. It was a landslide victory, and like, people were celebrating. Like, I can't remember 
outside my mother's house. I was, was living in, in, in Lecheria and Anzuate State. People were celebrating like for three days in a row. Mm -hmm. It was a pure joy because uh, we were on, on this platform, not in, not in, a, not on in, in policy issues, but rather politics. In, in politics uh, drive policy. We were on a platform saying, hey, we've got to change this. So we're not here to change laws. We're not here to not necessarily. I mean, those are the things that parliaments do in a democracy. But saying that we were not on democracy, this is our opportunity, our electoral opportunity, our nonviolent uh, resistance and opportunity to change things from the core or from an institution which should be or is the core of of democracy, which is the parliament. Mm -hmm. So we run, we won, and we tried to start making changes. We were blocked again and again until in 2017. Uh, of course, we uh, there, there were protests to call for, uh, you know, democratic change that were was being blocked, mm -hmm. you know? And uh, of course, they tried to stop. Uh, it was July the 5th, uh, 2017. We were commemorating um, our Independence Day. Mm -hmm. We were voting for a uh, a national uh, referendum type of thing, plebiscite, and and it was approved by the parliament about the rejection of a, a constituency, a false constituency assembly. But in that day, when we were doing that, because uh, the regime knew the how powerful this would be, they attacked us mm -hmm. because they know. That parliaments are hearts of democracy, so they have to make a they have to make a statement. Hey, we're against you, and we're going to go physical with you. That mm -hmm. day, they attacked the parliament and they tried to kill me. And I basically I survived an assassination <laughs> attempt in the parliament. And paradoxically, it was the uh, uh, the commemoration of our Independence Day, and I called for a new type of, of, of independence in Venezuela, because what we're having right now there uh, it's not merely the failure of a democracy mm. it's not a it's not merely a uh, a a, a, dicta a dictatorial regime or uh, no 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 it's an occupied country so it's not just that demo democracy failed and it was taken over by a a, a criminal cartel a narco state you know mm -hmm. but beyond that it's the fact that they managed the people who is who's clinging into mm -hmm. power in Venezuela have managed to weaponize a whole country. So everything they do is for wrongdoing and criminal purposes. Mm -hmm. So they weaponize the, the, the whole insti the, the institutions mm -hmm. for wrongdoing and eventually they want everybody to become accomplice. Because if you become accomplice, like in the communist regimes, you cannot speak up. You know, mm. you, you cannot uh, uh, backfire or you are morally neutralized. This is a strategy, this is a politics. I, at the end of the day, I don't, I don't even want to talk about Venezuela. I want to talk about democracy and freedom and how this is interconnected and how our struggle in Venezuela is the same uh, in, 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 in somehow of the ones that are the, the, the they are doing in Hong Kong mm -hmm. and in within China, but also the dissidents in Russia and dissidents in Turkey and, and all other places. Because at the end of the day, if you share uh, not just values, but the pr but the practices, 
that in, in concrete practices that you have to be in, in accordance to those values, mm-hmm. uh, you realize that you're fighting together for a way of living, right. you know, mm-hmm. way of living, mm-hmm. which in the past and in the, in the present have demonstrated that is uh, the better way of living to preserve freedom and dignity and eventually social uh, justice. I wanted to follow up on that point because I think that's really interesting how you mentioned that it, it's not just about values, but it's also about like the practices and, the, and there's just so much that connects, you know, so many of these movements and kind of the, the people who are involved in them. What um, what are some examples or are there examples that, that you kind of learned from f- around the world, you know, watching different politicians, watching different movements and protests? Are there examples that you learned from and are there things that you would teach current movements your own experiences i think we have to be aware that we need to fight together mm. i mean internationally speaking we need more uh, uh collaboration what should we uh learn or what have we learned well for example if you have a new type of regime like this which is basically a drug cartel that has taken over a country how do you deal with the drug cartel normally? Yeah. How do you deal with criminals normally? Mm-hmm. These are the things that we're dealing with uh, right now. This is our, our, our claim for democracy mm-hmm. and democracies and, and, and democratic countries uh, need, need to uh, remember mm-hmm. that uh, democratic uh, way of life uh, implies uh, sacrifice implies a political cost to advance mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I- I in democracy and to defend democracy. And it's something that is worth to export. Democracy, like peace, is something worth to export. But only through democracy <laughs> you can gain peace. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Other than that is suffering, it's hunger, it's inequality, and this is what we're having in, in, in Venezuela mm-hmm. now, nowadays. Mm-hmm democracy and democracy is a work in progress it's not perfect but it's perfectible mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. uh, it, it, it's, a, it's a day it's a, it's a you, you have to construct it you have to build it day day by day and you have to recognize that it, it's not perfect it has its flaws but the, the beauty of it is that if you don't like it you can change it mm-hmm. you know what I mean they have mm-hmm. their own peaceful uh, ways mm-hmm. uh, to change it uh, but once you once it's lost, like in, in Venezuela or like in many countries, you have to do anything, and I mean anything or everything, in your hands to regain it and to nurture it and to preserve it and to cherish it. Mm-hmm. Armando, just one one final question to sort of begin to wrap things up for us. What if 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 you had to say just one thing to the international community of democracy, the United States, Western Europe? What, what would be the most important thing for them to do to show not just the solidarity, but the, the cooperation that you talked about in perfecting all of our democracies? What would that one thing be? Innovate. Innovation. So uh, nowadays, we have, like in any other uh, moment of the world, we have uh, um, communication capabilities and devices to uh, which uh, technology, uh, which is not good nor bad nor neutral, 
but uh, it's something that is there and we have to be uh, we have to innovate in the way of the use of new technologies and the ethical implications that new technologies have and we have to think about this about uh, new ways of, of communicating and, and, and for new ways of decision making and new ways of, of, of making the common citizen be part of the decision making process and and the uh, and be part of a new social contract to, to be part of it how they make them uh, something that makes them belong so uh, democracy freedom dignity meritocracy all of this uh, these values uh, have to mean something for people in reality mm -hmm. in, in within their contexts uh, you know what I mean so it they, they have to be part of them and that's the only way to uh, contrast things like um, hatred, things like intolerance, things like polarization, mm -hmm. uh, things like the wrong perception of what identity is mm -hmm. or what identity should be. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Is so make democracy and freedom part of your identity mm -hmm. is something that you c you can do through um, through new technologies new ways of, of communication but you have to uh, be constant and be innovative and be perseverant uh, on this issue and this is what uh, this is what I'm passionate about right now this is what I'm trying to push forward a new way of, of thinking how to use technology to foster uh, democracy and dignity and all of these uh, values I think that's a that's a serious but optimistic note to end on and thank you very much for having this thank you very much thank you thanks The story of Venezuela's democratic decline is long and has many different chapters. But one thing that's consistent throughout it are stories like Rafaela's and Armando's. Ordinary citizens who found themselves in extraordinary circumstances fighting for their country's democracy. People like them are the ones who keep democracy working. And when it's broken, they're the kind of people who help fix it. So as we head into a new year, we'll inevitably hear plenty about Maduro. But at the same time, we hope that you'll remember that there are countless people like Rafaela and Armando whose stories are just as important to Venezuela's future, even if we don't normally hear them. If you liked what you heard today and want to learn more, look back in your feed for some of our past episodes on Venezuela to help provide more context for today's episode. We also have more up-to-date analysis on our blog at democracyspeaks.org. Be sure to rate the show and share it with friends who want to hear more about the stories that go into making democracy work around the world. Until next time, I'm Travis Green, and thanks for listening to Global.